Last week, as part of our worship time, we invited you to receive anointing and prayer for healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. And uh, at each of our services and at each of the five stations at those services, uh, ministered to uh, many people. And there were opportunities to share in joy and praise to God uh, with some folks. And there were others who expressed brokenness over their own sin or the sin done to them. Uh, The brokenness of health, the brokenness of relationships, the brokenness of faith. And we were privileged to pray for you and to weep with you. Uh, Certainly just more evidence that we live in a broken world, and that's why we need Jesus. Today we finish our series from the ancient book of Judges called Broken. Uh, Each chapter is a record of the wreckage of life apart from the reign of God. The story that we looked at last week was monstrous, and it was revolting. The gang rape and murder of a girl. And this event happened in an Israelite town to an Israelite family in the context of the people of God, those claiming to know the one true God. And when the nation heard about this, they asked, what shall we do about this atrocity? And that's where chapter 20 of Judges begins. That's where we pick up the story. It begins with the reaction to this evil event of sexual assault and physical dismemberment of this woman. Today, we'll see that what is broken is justice itself. Justice is broken. Bad things occur in this world. Evil, wicked things happen around us and to us. And what do we do? How do we handle that? Today, as we go through this text, chapters 20 and 21, we'll discover four questions that we should ask when we're dealing with evil. Uh, Four questions that that we should ask when, when there's cruelty, when there's corruption, immorality, bad behavior, evil itself, and whether that evil is something that we see in our country or our community or simply in our own lives. These are practical questions from the text that we must ask. So let me begin with the question. First of all, do I have all the facts? Question number one, when I'm confronting evil, do I have all the facts? So hearing about this atrocity, all the Israelites gather together, and they're obviously very upset. Each of the tribes had received a severed body part. That's where we left off last week. The the pieces of that body were from the young wife of a priest, a Levite. And she had been raped and murdered in the town of Gabeah, a city of the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. And afterward, after uh, her uh, rape, her husband, this rather perverted, disturbed priest, cut her up, and sent a piece of her body to each of the tribes of Israel. And this was how he chose to publicize this horrible crime. And it worked. In fact, the people gathered, and they came prepared to do something. Uh, The text tells us, verse 2, that there were 400,000 soldiers, each of them with a sword. They were ready to do something in response to this atrocity. That's a battle-ready army. So now they hear the story. Verse 4, so the Levite 
the husband of the murdered woman, said, I and my concubine came to Gabeah and Benjamin to spend the night. And during the night, the men of Gabeah came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. They raped my concubine, and she died. All right. There's a way to spin the truth and make yourself look good. And that's what's happened here. If you're familiar with the story, if you're here last week, you you realize that the the priest adds a fact here, takes away a fact there. Uh, Let me just point out some of them. First of all, uh, he blames all the men of Gabeah. But it wasn't all the men. The text clearly says it was some of the men. At the very least, the old man he was staying with in Gibeah, he wasn't part of the crime. But the priest blames all of them. Second, the men did not threaten to kill the priest. Uh, They demanded to have sex with him. That's what they were after. Now, he might have ended up dead. He might have wished he was dead. But that was not what happened. They didn't threaten him with death. But third, and I think very important, the priest is the one who threw his wife out the door. They didn't break it down and take her. He pushed her outside, this concubine, this secondary wife. Uh, They didn't take her by force, the mob. No, this priest sacrificed his wife for his own safety. He doesn't mention that at all. And he also doesn't mention that after he pushed her out the door, he went to bed and slept through the night and gave no thought to her until he got up the next morning, opened the door, and basically tripped over her on his way out. So the priest made himself look as good as possible. And based on this testimony, the nation is ready to take vengeance. So verse 10, uh, the nation says, Get provisions for the army, and then when the the army arrives at Gabeah and Benjamin, it can give them what they deserve for all this vileness done in Israel. And so all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. Now, was there evil to be confronted? Absolutely. Did Israel have responsibility to react? Absolutely. But they acted too quickly and severely, ready to give the whole city what they deserve. That's a key thought, what they deserve. Now, this actually goes against God's law. Uh, Let me point this out to you. In Deuteronomy 13, God says, if if some of your nation, if some of the other Israelites entice you to worship other gods, to, to, to put up an idol, then you need to respond with ruthless judgment, but only after, Deuteronomy 13, 14, you inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. So yeah, if you're called into idolatry, you need to react ruthlessly, but you better investigate it first. Now the situation here was not about idol worship, but before heading off to war, they needed to have more than one victim's self-serving opinion. This is pretty serious stuff. Have you ever made a mistake in accusing someone of wrongdoing and they hadn't done it? I have. More than once. Have you heard things, seen things that made you furious? Maybe it was on the news. Uh, Maybe it it outraged you. Maybe it was something that this person told you about what another person said. Be very careful. As James 1 tells us, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. 
The more you talk, the fewer facts that you receive. The more you listen, uh, the better you will be at discerning the truth. Because we have to be so careful to guard against our prejudices. And we, we all come with bias and prejudice in all sorts of ways. We, we must refuse to, to form quick opinions. So before you criticize or condemn, you need to ask that first question. Do I have all the facts? Second question. Have I dealt with my own sin? Before I'm going to confront evil, I, I must ask, have I dealt with my own sin? So Israel goes off to battle against the city of Gabeah. They surround the city. Now, that was where the atrocity happened. That was the location. But, but you have to appreciate that this was just one city in the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin had a number of cities. This was one of those cities. And the army made a demand to the tribe that they turn over those who were guilty. And so, verse 12 the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now surrender those wicked men of Gabeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. So this army is ready for blood. They're ready to exact justice. They want to purge the evil. The Hebrew word translated purge here is ba'ar, and it means to consume, it means to burn. And you have to appreciate that Israel sees this city as the sum total of evil in the nation. That's what they've done. They're filled with moral outrage. Their message is if we get rid of these guys, then we'll be pure. This is what's wrong with Israel, these guys. Have you ever put anybody in that category? Have you ever said, well, if he wasn't in this neighborhood, if she wasn't part of this family, if we got rid of those people, things would be great. And when you're all upset about something, when you are on a, a mission to get rid of that or change this or tell them a thing or two, you very much must ask that question, have I dealt with my own sin? Jesus deals with that certainly in Matthew 7 where he warns against being judgmental and about someone who's eager to go after the problem in others. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 5, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So before I call someone out, I've got to make sure I acknowledge my own sin. I know a church that actively battled against abortion for 20 years. They, they, they were on the front lines against abortion. But at that same time, for those same 20 years, they did not welcome African Americans into their congregation. Not welcome. So while they screamed for America to repent of killing the unborn, they didn't have a problem discriminating against those already born. It's a vast hypocrisy. So civil war begins. Benjamin says, you're not getting anybody. So now it's 11 tribes against one. Not only did these 11 tribes vastly outnumber the tribe of Benjamin, 
these 11 tribes, they're on the side of justice, and atrocity has been committed. They're, they're out to settle that score. And the 11 tribes prayed before the battle. They inquired of the Lord. But they were so sure of their cause that they simply asked God to bless the plan they'd already made. Now, you remember, that's one of the signs that we saw of broken religion back in chapter 18. Broken religion, that's, what, that's when you ask, one of the signs of that is that you ask God to bless what you're already intending to do, what you're already planning to do. That's what the 11 tribes did. Now, although Benjamin, this one tribe, was vastly outnumbered, they did have some unique forces, and Judges here tells us that uh, that included 700 left-handers who were experts with the sling. So they could, they could hurl a, a one-pound stone as fast and as accurately as a Justin Verlander fastball. And this was a, a very unique attack. And so in the first battle, this one tribe defeated the rest of Israel. They killed 22,000 of the rest of Israel. The next day, after inquiring again of God, Israel attacked again. And again they lose. This time they lose 18,000 killed in battle. So finally, see how they responded. Uh, Verse 26. Then the Israelites, all the people, went up to Bethel, where they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord, and the Israelites inquired of the Lord. So see, finally, they're humbled. They they turn from their arrogant assumption that they're right. And and these sacrifices, these offerings of repentance are, are, are about repentance. They're about reconciliation. They're recognition of their sin. And this is a turning point in what happens here. Now that they recognize their sin, that they want God's direction. Before they only wanted God's blessing in their intended battle. Uh, This time they inquire if God wants them to go into battle or not. And God does. It's so easy for us to be outraged by the sins of others. And it's so easy then to be blind to our own failures. That's why we must be careful. uh, Scholar David Jackman says that if evil is to be purged, it must begin in our own personal lives as we submit daily to our Lord and King. In other words, if you want to do anything about evil anywhere, you must start in your own heart and mind, your own life. uh, Our political environment in the United States is so nauseating because neither party seems to be able to admit any wrongdoing whatsoever. Standing against evil must produce an awareness of our own sin. Instead of becoming judgmental and accusatory over the sins of others, we must be sensitive to our own failures. I read of uh, this week a news item about a former high school principal in Kentucky who was just indicted on 17 charges of child pornography. And and what was interesting about this was that 10 years ago, he had made national news as a high school principal in Kentucky because he banned a number of books because of inappropriate themes for high school students. So he made national news for banning some books with inappropriate themes, and yet he is involved in child pornography. 
Sometimes those who scream the loudest against wrong are guilty of the same sin. Now, does that mean you can never take a stand against what is wrong? No, of course not. It it means that whether you are confronting wrongdoing or you've been hurt by it, first ask, have I dealt with my own sin? Have I dealt with my own sin? The third question is, am I out for revenge? Now, the Lord wanted the evildoers punished. And he now promised victory for Israel. And through an interesting military military strategy, which I won't get into, but it's described in the text here, Israel easily defeated the army this time, the enemy. They they killed 25,000 swordsmen. And only 600 of that battling army escaped and ran away. But it didn't stop there. After winning that battle, Israel killed everyone and everything in the city. And then it went even farther. Uh, Verse 48. The men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword, including the animals and everything else they found. All the towns they came across, they set on fire. So in other words, they destroy the entire city where the offense took place. Then they destroy the entire tribe. This is a ferocious orgy of destruction. This is not justice. This is genocide. It's like there's a rotten spot in the apple. They not only cut out the the, the bad spot, they smashed the apple, pulverized the core, and crushed the seeds. They killed everything. God did not call for this. This was extermination. Israel was exacting revenge. And they did so with a fury that was out of control. So the army is caught up in feelings of of personal vengeance and and it brought this entire tribe of Benjamin to the brink of of extinction. Now you remember Israel's original motive was we'll give them what they deserve. You can't expect God's approval with that kind of motive. As the New Testament clearly points out, Romans chapter 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So while we cannot ignore wickedness among those who claim to believe, we also can't be consumed with retribution because ultimately vengeance is the Lord's. We live in a a society of laws and order and God has given government the the right of, of carrying out that justice, but ultimately justice belongs to the Lord, not us. Vengeance is his. And anytime you're faced with wrongdoing, anytime you you take steps to confront evil, ask, am I out for revenge? Because when our motive is to give them what they deserve, then we are repaying evil for evil. I'll never forget one of the times I learned that lesson most keenly. It was when a, a, a person had embezzled several thousand dollars and it was found out and I was leading the the charge for justice. It's how despicable. They won't get away with that. And and the only question uh, as I led the board towards how we would deal with this years ago was what's the best way to punish this person? And then as I led that charge there was one guy that read scripture and called us to say, hey, this, I, what it made me realize is that I was out for revenge, not righteousness. Completely different. And when revenge is our motive, we make things worse, and evil only spreads. So you may be in a custody dispute, 
Uh, You may be in a legal battle. You may be locked in a fight with your family or struggling with the consequences of what was done to you. The injustice you suffered will never be made fully right in this life. So as you take steps to deal with wrong, make sure this is not about getting even. Because God has not called you to do that. That's not your job. It will only, in fact, bring more hurt, more damage than is deserved. So that third question, am I out for revenge? Fourth question, am I using sin to fight sin? Israel quickly realized, we've gone too far. This is not good. Uh, So now they're going to try and clean up the mess. And guess what? They make a bigger mess. So first the realization, chapter 21, verse 3. Oh, Lord, the God of Israel, they cried. Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? You realize how ridiculous this is? It's like missing a putt, breaking your putter and going, why do I only have not enough clubs? It's like killing your spouse and feeling, oh, I'm so lonely. It's a very strange reaction. Because remember, they killed everyone they could. Men, women, children, animals, all but 600 of the soldiers who escaped. And so they asked this, verse 7, How can we provide wives for those who are left, since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give them any of our daughters in marriage? All right, so this is fascinating. Israel needs to find women for these remaining 600 men. Why? So that the tribe of Benjamin can make a comeback. Otherwise, they don't have a tribe anymore. And all they do is dig the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. By the way, you know how you get assigned to stuff? Don't go to the meeting, right? We've had, we've had some opportunities as elders. Some of us are afraid to leave the room to go to the restroom because we might get assigned something when we come back. Because, oh, John's not here. Let's give him a job. That's kind of what happens here because, see, Israel, the entire nation was supposed to show up to deal with this issue, and they find that nobody from one city, the city of Jabesh-Gilead, had bothered to arrive. And so here's what they do, verse 10. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh-Gilead and put to the sword those living there, including the women and children. All they did was not show up. Let's kill them all. And the only people they did not kill, the text goes on to tell us, were the young women who were virgins. So they annihilate another city as they try to provide wives for 600 men of Benjamin who were left. And all that remains after the slaughter of the city are 400 young women. So that means, if you do the math, they still need 200 more women. So Israel comes up with another horrible idea. Let's, there's an annual worship festival going on at Shiloh. Let's kidnap some women from there. Because those would be good women. Carry a tune, everything. It's wonderful. So they got the 200 guys from Benjamin who still needed a wife and told them what to do. They said, verse 20, go and hide in the vineyards and watch. When the girls of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, then rush from the vineyards and each of you seize a wife from the girls of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. So during the festival, while the the, the, the women are out 
dancing to worship songs and praising God, uh, they get dragged off by desperate men. It would make a good musical. 200 brides for 200 brothers, right? So did you notice all the sin committed by Israel in their fight against evil? Total annihilation of multiple towns and cities, most of whom were innocent. Destroying those innocent people. Kidnapping clearly all of these condemned by God's law. So in an attempt to punish a horrific crime, God's people perpetrate multiple crimes. And that's a trap we can fall into. From little things to big things. For example, let's say, Jane Doe slighted you. She she looks the other way when she sees you. She sticks her nose up in the air, pretends like you don't even exist, and it happens in church. What kind of a Christian does she think she is? How can that Jane come to church and and act like that? And her snub bothers you and it gets you so riled up and you share your feelings with another friend and you shake your head and you declare with sadness that you can't believe what a hypocrite Jane is. And before you know it, you've responded to Jane's issues with the sins of bitterness and gossip. Now, I've, I've honestly shared before an incident or two of, of uh, anger in my life, and uh, uh, here's another one. Um, years ago, uh, family was traveling, and we stopped at a fast food place, and uh, my wife and our two daughters, at that time our oldest daughter was in high school, our youngest daughter was in elementary school, and, and uh, we're, we're sitting there trying to have a, a, a meal, and and there's, there's a guy in there hanging out with some of the employees sitting at tables around us, and, and he's smoking, uh, and he's cursing, yelling profanity. Uh, and, and all this set me off. Because, first of all, he's breaking an ordinance. He's smoking. And he's cursing around my precious wife and children. How dare he? So after one maybe verbal warning, I got in his face. And I started yelling. And I made some physical threats against this guy when he didn't back down. I didn't do any cursing because I'm not like that. But it was ugly. And whatever that guy had done wrong, I'd only managed to join him in it. My words and reactions were sinful and dishonoring to Christ. And my daughters have probably never forgotten that horrible example. So whether you're condemning policies and lawmakers or confronting individual wrongs, ask, am I fighting against sin with more sin? So the account of Judges ends with these words, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So that's been the theme of these stories. When we are our our own moral compass, when we are our own moral compass, When social standards become our guide, when culture determines what's right, wrong, and acceptable, then we will not be the people God wants us to be. The majority around us can live as they see fit, but those who follow King Jesus are called to a different way of life. When we believe, his death pays the price for our sin and guilt. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, uh, his payment for sin, releases us from eternal death. He, by the sacrifice of his body, opens up a new and living way for us. That we can live with a grace that we don't deserve. 
Because our sin was taken upon his body. God's judgment and wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus so that all who believe, all who put their trust in him, uh, give him their brokenness, their sin, receive the righteousness of Christ. And so God has, because of Jesus, not given us what we deserve. And for those of us who are in Christ, we live by a different governing principle. Let me put it in these words. That Christ calls me to overcome evil with good. That's almost a direct quote from Romans 12, 21. So when you've been done wrong, or, or when you see wrong being done, ask yourself those questions. Do I have all the facts? Have I dealt with my own sin? Am I out for revenge? Am I fighting sin with sin? Because our human nature is to overreact. Our human nature is to punish. It's to take vengeance. It's to cover up. It's to pay back. It's to get even. So an article years ago in Newsweek called Pro-Life Turns Deadly told the story of the first doctor killed in the war over abortion. Michael Griffin believed God wanted him to stop Dr. David Gunn from performing abortions. So one day as the doctor got out of his car, Griffin fired three thirty-eight caliber bullets into his back. And that murder was praised by a lot of people, including Reverend Paul Hill. And the following year, Hill himself killed an abortion doctor and his driver with five blasts from a shotgun. And more bombings and shootings followed, often in the name of God. Clearly, this approach violates God's will. It it addresses evil with more evil. People of God, this can never be our response, from great things to small. Through Jesus, a new way to live has opened up. In the face of evil, we can respond with good. We begin a series next week that I think will help to, to define what that looks like. We can respond with good because that's what God has done for us through Jesus. In the face of my evil and my sin, I received grace greater than all my sin. In a broken world, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So I invite you to celebrate that victory with me now around the table of the Lord. As we prepare, I would like you to pray with me a prayer that should be on the screens, but I'm not controlling. And so, would you join me in praying uh, this These words of preparation come around the Lord's table. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the redeeming power in Christ Jesus who humbled himself and offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for overcoming the power of sin and death through his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you that through the blood of Christ, We are redeemed. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and left undone. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask you to guide us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we may reflect the glory of the resurrected Christ in our lives. Receive our heartfelt thanks and praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
deacons and elders take their place